Is it real? Did it really happen? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And, well, so what if he did? What difference does it make? So we begin with six reasons why I think it is perfectly sensible and reasonable and rational to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now you'll find a sort of an outline of sorts inside your handout. Uh, It says that there are six reasons, but it doesn't tell you what the six reasons are, so you're going to have to listen for those. Here we go, six reasons why I think it is perfectly rational to believe Jesus rose from the dead. The first four, really, are about the events of that first Easter Sunday. Did you notice chapter 24 of Luke, in that reading, the second verse that we read? They found the stone rolled away, and when they entered, they did not find the body. The first reason to believe that Jesus rose from the dead is because the tomb was empty. There was no body. He's gone. Christianity could have been stopped overnight by any of Jesus' enemies. All they needed to do, here he is, dead. And that's it. Christianity's finished. But the tomb was empty. There was no body. First reason, empty tomb, no body. Second reason, the astonishing change in the disciples. Something happened to them. The next day after the Sunday, on the Monday, they were all cowering with fear, locked up in a room for fear of the Jews. They're thinking the people who killed Jesus, guess who they're going to come for next? They locked themselves away. And yet within days, they were out preaching, Jesus is alive, with this astonishing hope and joy and courage and boldness. What could have possibly transformed them from cowering with fear to these bold preachers? Well, they met Jesus. They met the risen one. Now, some will say, therefore, that, well, it's, it's all a hoax, right? What the disciples did, they stole the body. So they knew no one was ever going to find it. So they're like, hey, we can just make up whatever story we want. Nobody can contradict us, right? But really, a, a practical joke? I mean, that's quite some joke. If you are prepared to die for it, which many of them did, you don't get to laugh about the joke when you're dead. Put me in mind of Watergate. Do you remember the Watergate scandal? Who, who remembers the Watergate scandal? Right, anyone who's younger than me had to go look it up, like I did, right? I, I don't remember the Watergate. Anyway, so what happened was uh, there was a burglary in, one, in the, the opposition political party from the then President Nixon. There was a burglary. They caught the burglars and it kind of started to work out that perhaps the President had been ordering illegal wiretaps and for these guys to go and steal classified documents and, and they created this conspiracy It was maybe, let's say, I don't know, a dozen of them who decided that we're going to try and hide the facts and create this hoax. And in less than three weeks, one of the main characters decided to spill the beans, gave it all away. Just three weeks they lasted and the hoax was done. Do you really think that this group of disciples, these apostles, these 12 scared men came up with an idea for a bit of a laugh that they then held to for the next 40 years, including being tortured and killed for it? Something happened to them. They met Jesus. The tomb was empty, there was no body. The disciples changed astonishingly. Thirdly, 
It wasn't just one or two people who saw Jesus. If you want to go and look it up, you can look up 1 Corinthians 15, verses 4 and 8. Paul speaks to these skeptics as he's telling them, when Jesus rose, he appeared to the apostles. And then he appeared to groups of hundreds of people. It wasn't just one or two here or there. And if you don't believe me, Paul seems to be saying, go and ask them. They're still alive. They saw Jesus. Fourth reason, the witnesses, in particular the Gospels that we have, seem to be men of integrity and reliability. Now, this is a subjective thing, right? I mean, you can't... How do you gauge whether somebody is a person who's an honourable person or not, or just out to trick you? I mean, that's a subjective thing. But as I read the Gospels, it seems to me these are people who genuinely care, who want to tell the truth, not make up a lie. Not to mention... The little facts, for example, of the women being the first to come and see that Jesus had been raised. Now, it's a bit sexist, but back then, you were a woman, your witness didn't count for much. It's not the people that you would have chosen if you were making up the story to go and find that Jesus wasn't there. Okay, so you've got the empty tomb and nobody. You've got the dramatic change in the disciples. You've got the numerous eyewitnesses. You've got the integrity of these men and women who really seem to be people who are telling the truth. Now, the last two are a little bit different. Number five, Jesus said he'd rise. Now, that doesn't really prove anything, does it? I can tell you that I'm going to do any number of things and whether I do them or not is a matter of indifference. But... If you are going to relate to Jesus, and so many do, as if he's a, what, a, a good teacher, a moral man, somebody with integrity and honesty, then what are you going to do with the fact that he said he was going to rise again? You either have to say, well, he's not a man of integrity, he's a liar, or you have to say, well, he's just plain bonkers, he's crazy. Jesus said he would rise. And lastly, my sixth reason for telling you that Jesus really did rise from the dead is that Jesus changes lives today. We Christians bear witness to this. I stand here to tell you today, Jesus changed me. I, I look in my life and I see a love for God and a love for his people that's not mine. I see in my life a hope, even in the toughest of circumstances, a joy that sees me through times of trial that is not mine. I see in my life a patience and a perseverance to get through trials that it's not mine. I see a courage to do the things that I'm afraid of that is not mine. Jesus is alive. Okay, fine, sure. So let's go for a moment with, yes, the resurrection did happen, the dead man came back to life, but so what? Can't we just add it on to that list of the miraculous things that have happened in the history of humanity? It's just one more astonishing moment. Why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, it matters... Because of our greatest need. And which we treat it as irrelevant, 
because we're not concerned about the right things. Let's take a little exercise. Just stop for a moment, take 10 seconds or so. What is the thing that concerns you the most right now? Just, just try and, what worries you? What's on your mind? What's the thing that right now you just, it immediately gets your heart going a little bit faster, the palms slightly sweaty, right? You, I'm sure we can all think of something. Maybe it's your finances, right? You, you, you know the money's going to run out before next payday. The mortgage has gotten a little bit too big. Maybe you're concerned about love or the lack thereof. I don't know, right? Whichever it can be. Maybe you're concerned about your health or the health of somebody you love. Maybe you're concerned about the next sporting event, whether you're going to win or you're going to lose. Maybe you're just hungry because daylight savings has kicked in and your body says it's lunchtime. I don't know. What is it that you are concerned for the most? I want you to consider this morning the reality that the Bible speaks of. The psalmist puts it like this in Psalm 73. He says, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? completely swept away by terrors. I want you to consider for a moment this morning the reality that the Bible speaks of, that everybody who is not in Jesus stands on the brink of a precipice, on this thin ledge, slippery, not even enough to properly stand on. And it's over a cliff that might as well fall to eternity for its depth. And that cliff that we are standing in front of, held up by nothing, is the very wrath of God against our own sin. That is the reality that we face. By all rights, by any measure of justice, by any measure of fairness or of goodness, what God should do right now is just tip us over. The only thing that is this instant keeping any of us out of hell was nothing. Nothing at all but the mere pleasure of God. It's as if he's just got one finger on our forehead. You're on that little ledge and the only thing that keeps us from falling is the very one whose anger we face. He's just holding us there for a little bit longer. The one whose very wrath we deserve. It's not a future judgment. It's not like we're living life now expecting that at some point in the future God's going to start weighing us up. Oh, is he good? Is he bad? No. Humanity is condemned already. Do you know John 3.16? I mean, most of us would, right? It's it's just one of those famous verses. I think we all know it because it's a lovely verse. You know how it goes? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have it to... Isn't it a lovely verse? Do you know the verse just two verses later? John 3.18? Do you know what it says? Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. This isn't a future day that we're speaking of. We deserve hell. And the condemnation has already gone out against us. We are now objects of the same anger and wrath of God as is expressed in the torments of hell. 
Please don't think that God is neutral towards us. That he's some external arbiter, just watching, waiting to see how it's going to turn out. His wrath already burns against us. The pit is already prepared. The fire already made ready. The furnace is hot. But we like to fool ourselves. We're good at it. We have any number of ways of thinking that it's not going to be us. And the first thing we do to fool ourselves is we think, well, death is such a long way off. Oh, I've got a lot of time before I've got to work any of this out. I mean, death, you know, we can trust in anything. We can trust in our health. I'm, I'm healthy. Well, I'm, I'm not. But anyway, you think I'm healthy right now and death's a long way off. We trust our age. I'm still young. I've got time. We trust our money. I can afford the best doctors. Doesn't matter what comes. There are no visible means of my impending death. What could possibly happen to me? We should know better. The experience of the ages, let alone for many of us this last week, says that there is nothing stopping God from taking any of us at any moment. All he has to do is just stop giving you breath. And so we fool ourselves that we can somehow preserve our own life, that we can work hard, that we can care and out of our concern, we can somehow, we think the same for our kids and our loved ones, right? We're like, if, if I, I can protect them, I can give them long life somehow. I mean, it seems to be the life of the parent is just chasing after the little one, right? Don't die, don't die, stay alive, live, live. But the wisest of us dies no different to the fool. And so we fool ourselves that somehow, by our own ways, we can escape hell. We think that we can reject Christ, the only way that God has provided for salvation. We think that we can continue to just be wicked and yet somehow still escape this wrath. You know, everyone that hears about hell flatters themselves that they're the one who can escape. Oh, no, no, I, I'm, I'm confident in what I've done, in what I'm doing, in what I will do. I'm confident in how I've laid out my life. Oh, I know that there are only few saved, but I'll be one of them. Oh, you tell me that the majority of humanity has gone to hell for rejecting Christ. But I won't. Not me. Friends, we're not just fooling ourselves, but we are deluded. If we think that somehow, by some sort of great personal effort, we can escape the Almighty God. In fact, forget about the cliff for a moment. It's just God holding us suspended above the pit. The fire of hell that now burns. Our wickedness makes us like lead, weighed down, such that if at any moment, if he just simply tipped, we'd be gone. You think you can save yourself? How good are you at walking on air? No religious observance, no number of prayers or good works or any fortress of wealth or ignorance will save. 
Oh, that I could somehow open your eyes. Tear back this building that surrounds us, the, the comfort, the wealth, the life that we think surrounds us, that you might be able to see that reality, that fire that awaits. For this is the concern that lies before us. The need to be saved from sin and death. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. And it is in his resurrection that we see the defeat of both sin and death. It is in his resurrection that we know that our sin has been truly paid for. See, my sin can only be paid for by somebody else if they are themselves sinless. If they are themselves not worthy of death, that they might take mine. And so Jesus, God's holy, perfect, sinless one, was able to die for my sin. If he was a sinful man, just like anybody else, then he'd still be dead. Because he pays for his own sin. But as the sinless one, well, he didn't deserve death. And so God brought the holy, righteous one back to life to show sin done. To demonstrate that there is a way for all of that weight to be removed from us. Having been placed on him. Dying for it. Being brought back to new life. Jesus is alive. And so sin is dealt with. And because he is alive, he can now bring life to us. You too can have what is his eternal life. That very hand that currently holds us in wrath over the fire can be the hand that moves you in a gentle embrace to place you in God's own home to be one of his for eternity. Jesus is alive. So can I ask you please this Easter Sunday to flee. Flee the coming wrath. Run away from what awaits everybody who's outside of Jesus and flee to God. Come and meet Jesus. Let him transform you too. Most importantly, let him be the one who dies in your place, sin done with, that in his resurrection you might know your sin dealt with and you too might have life. Jesus is alive. I wonder, do you know him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are gracious and kind to us. Even though we, outside of Christ, stand condemned already, you are patient. Even now you give us the opportunity to come to you and find forgiveness. Even now you hold out to us the death and resurrection of your Son for the forgiveness of our sins and life everlasting. 
Father, today would you remove the blindness from any eyes that cannot see this reality? Would you change hearts of those who are still far from you to come to Jesus in trust and be saved? Amen.